Welcome, Sugar Creek. Good to see you today. It's so good to be here with you. I want to welcome everybody here at Sugarland, at Richmond Rosenberg, at Missouri City, our brothers at Darrington, and everyone joining us at Sugar Creek Online. Come on, let's give one more clap of thanksgiving to God for joining us all together. Hey, my name is Livin Abraham, and maybe you're new here, and, and I mean nothing to you. That's totally cool. But I had the joy of being on staff for nine years here at Sugar Creek, some of the best years of my life. And about four years ago, the, I'm sorry, four months ago, it feels like four years, about four months ago, the Lord transitioned our family to the North Dallas area where I get the joy of being the lead pastor at Bentry Bible Fellowship. And it's been an incredible season of, of just participating in what God is doing uh, with a different local community and just experiencing the blessing of being there at Bentry. But I'm grateful that although we are a few hours away, that we get to stay connected. I tune in every week, just celebrating all that God's doing in and through Sugar Creek. And uh, this is where our roots are. And it's been a great joy to just come back home today here at Sugar Creek. If you're new, here's a picture of my family. They're joining me here as well today. But Stacy is my amazing wife. Uh, our first daughter is Avery, who starts kindergarten next month. She is five. And Liam just turned two. It's been a crazy season of transition. And uh, out of th everything in our life has changed except for my wife and kids in the last four months. And that's a good thing that they didn't change. I want them to be here forever with me. Um, but I'm grateful for all of God's provision and blessing and his hand that has been upon us. And we have missed you, Sugar Creek. And we've missed um, all of you, the staff, and of course our pastor. Um, but we're so grateful to be here today. Pastor Mark had always advised me about the pressure uh, that you will feel as a lead pastor anywhere that's different than any other staff role. And let me tell you, it hit on day one. <laughs> There's nothing like it, uh, which all the more made me appreciative of the incredible life and ministry and the long-lasting impact of our amazing lead pastor, Pastor Mark. So let's just give God a thanks for him one more time today. <laughs> Praying that he gets recharged and strengthened to lead us into our next season here at Sugar Creek. When I started at Bentry, what was on my heart was not to roll out a brand new vision or to start some new initiative, but really to get us back to the basics of what the church of Jesus is about to be or what it's all about. What is it that birthed the local church and, and what is it that God is calling us to as the bride of Jesus? I think in this nation, in the season that we're in as a nation and as a church, what we need isn't something new and more creative or more sh shiny than anything else. What we really need is to come back to the basics or origins of who God has called the church of Jesus to be. And so even at Bentry, uh, we've been thinking about praying about the book of Acts and how do we return to a life that models the unity, the power, the love that we discover in the book of Acts. For a few minutes today, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, and I wanted to share with you just a little bit of what you already know about the church, but to remind us of the rhythm, the devotion of the early church. Now over the last year and a half, with everything that we have gone through as a people, 
a lot of things has changed in the world, and even in your life, so much has changed. Maybe you're in a season where you're shuffling around priorities. What am I supposed to be devoted to? Because really the reality is who we spend time with and what we spend time doing, how we spend energy, resources, our devotions have all been changed to the season that we have been through. And even in your spiritual life, in your faith, it's very possible some things have changed. Now my hope is that you have come through this last year and a half stronger in your faith, more dependent on God, that you've realized that life is fragile, that you've come to grips with the brevity of life and how our eternality is found only in God. That we're desperate for him because all it takes is a novel virus to spring up somewhere in the world to shut down the world. So hopefully it's brought us to our knees, needing him, trusting in him. Because we realize we don't actually control a whole lot like we thought we did. Now that's the hope, but the reality could be that through the season that we've been, your faith has struggled. You've asked questions. You've gone through a season of loss. Maybe you had to say goodbye to a loved one. Maybe you were forced into a relationship change or a job change, and you are struggling in your faith today. So maybe you find yourself on either side of the spectrum. I'm encouraged, I'm fervent in my faith, or I'm really struggling. And today, my hope for all of us together is to hit the reset button and come back to what we are to be devoted to in our faith to be fervor again, to be alive on the inside as we look at what is it that the early church was deeply committed to because they had the power of God on them and God had their devotion. And when God's power and their devotion met, when God's faithfulness and their, ma- and their faith collided, the world was changed forever. So here is a description of the early church and particularly pay attention to what they were devoted to, what mattered to them. Acts 2, verse 42 onwards, reads like this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day, just as we saw today in baptism, every single day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. The passage began with saying, they devoted themselves. Who is the they in the passage? A lot of times when we read the scriptures, we say, well, the they is the church leaders of the day, right? It's the seminarians or the leaders of the church of Jerusalem. Maybe it's people who have been walking with Jesus for a long time. Of course, devotion makes sense for them. But really in this passage, the they they are these brand new believers. As you know, on Pentecost, a church of 120 now is a church of 3,120. Talk about church growth. All these brand new believers are there who have just tasted the grace of God, who have just experienced the power of the Holy Spirit, and their immediate response to the saving grace of God was devotion. 
It wasn't that they had walked with God for a long time and finally God earned their heart. No, no, no. As soon as they met Jesus, grace led them to be devoted to God. These everyday, ordinary people were incredibly devoted. What we need today in the world is not apathetic people to faith. It's not a church that is indifferent. It's not a church that's silent. What we need today more than anything is a church that is devoted. Christ followers who are so committed to the cause of Jesus, to the gospel of Jesus, that in a world that a united church is so desperately needed. And here, grace invited this group of early Christ followers into absolute devotion. Here is a working definition of the word devotion. Devotion is love, loyalty, or enthusiasm for a person, activity, or cause. Love, loyalty, enthusiasm, excitement, fervor for a person, activity, or cause. Now, you are devoted to something or to someone, to a cause, to an activity. When you work long hours because you love your job and you lose track of time, it's because you are devoted to it. You don't care if you get paid over time. You love your work and you lose track of time. You were devoted to a sports team when you cheer them on and they're still losing. You're still devoted. Now, here's a confession. I've always been a bandwagon fan. I grew up in India, they didn't have a football team. Then I came to Tennessee and I was rooting for the Titans. Came to Texas here, Houston, rooting for the Texans. And now the pressure is on in Dallas to root for the Cowboys. And I know I just lost about half of you. But my wife, she is an avid Cowboys fan. She is devoted to the Cowboys. And a few years ago, we had a chance to go to a Texans game. And of course, I got my Texans jersey on. And I'm expecting her to wear a Texans jersey. But the only problem is they were playing the Cowboys. So here's what happened. I've got my Texans gear on and she's got her faithful Cowboys gear on. We were a house divided and, this, and everybody told us that as we're walking by. We actually had the chance to walk on the sidelines and uh, they wouldn't even let her on the Texans sideline because she had a Cowboys jersey on. But guess what? She didn't take it off. She didn't care. She was loyal, loving and enthusiastic about her team. You have devotion in various categories to many things. But here, when you look at these early Christ followers, they were devoted to a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. They were devoted to an activity which was the great commandment to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love their neighbor as themselves. They were devoted to a cause which was the great commission. At all costs, they went out to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is a group of people utterly devoted. And today, this passage of scripture is not just descriptive for us, it is prescriptive. Meaning it doesn't just describe what they were devoted to, it guides us. And it is a prescription of our devotion, how we are to be devoted to what the early believers in Jesus were devoted to. There are four things in Acts 2.42 that talk about devotion and what they were devoted to today for our purposes together, I wanna to look at them as pairs, two pairs. First of all, there is this horizontal, this, sorry, this vertical devotion happening. This vertical devotion to God, particularly through God's word and corporate worship. They were vertically devoted to God through God's word and through corporate worship. 
Verse 42 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers, to the prayers. These early Christians didn't have the Bible or a copy of God's word like you and I have today. All they had at best were copies of Old Testament scrolls, which were uh, really left at the temple and the synagogues. It wasn't like they could read scripture every single day. But after Jesus has ascended, all they had was the apostles' teaching to hold on to. The apostles had spent 40 days with Jesus after the resurrection. And Jesus taught them face to face. They've experienced an incredible three and a half years of ministry with Jesus. And so after he ascended, the apostles began to teach their world about all of the Old Testament that pointed to Jesus. How Christ came, how he lived, how he died, how he rose from the grave, and how he is coming back for the church. They began to teach Jesus to their world. Now it would take many years before their teaching would be, would be written down and codified and we would have what we call the New Testament. So all that the early Christians had to hold on to was the teaching of the apostles. So here these Christ followers were devoted to the scriptures, to the teaching of the apostles, to God's word. Today, you and I have way more access to God's word than any generation prior to us. Adjust your fingerprint, adjust your, the reach of your thumb, you have access to thousands of commentaries and supplemental resources. Whatever translation you want to pick, you pick. An average American home has three Bibles in their home. But the question really is not our access to God's word, but our devotion to God's word. Because it's very possible, and this is a great danger that we have fallen into, that we have increased in our access to God's word, but perhaps decreased in our devotion and commitment to it. These early group of Christ followers, they were busy. They had stuff to do. They had families to take care of. And in fact, they were incredibly persecuted, killed, martyred for their faith. But guess what? They made time. They carved out the space and the time they needed to be devoted to God's word. And no matter what it took, they learned, they heard, they applied the word of God to their life. Do you treasure God's word today? Are you loyal, enthusiastic about the scriptures today? Do you have it in your hand or do you have it in your heart? Do you love it or drawn to it, revere it? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2 says it like this. Like newborn infants desire or crave this pure milk of the word of God, so that by it you may grow up into your salvation. We desire, we take it in every single day because it is a source of our growth, our maturity. We don't just look at the word of God. We look through the word of God and we discover the beauty, the wonder of God himself. We discover the person of Jesus, the living word through the written word. Here we find out who we are, what we are called to, what we are to live for, how we are to live, how we are to make decisions. And through the word of God, we get strength when we are weak, comfort when we are grieving, and inspiration for every single moment of our life. These early Christians had a vertical devotion to God through his word. But not only that, we read here they were committed to prayer. They were devoted to prayer. And when you read it in English, it reads like that. They were devoted to prayer. So it makes it sound like the church was a praying church, which was absolutely true. But here in the Greek, there is a definite article in front of the word prayers. So it reads like this, they were devoted to the prayers, to the prayers. 
Jews were accustomed to going to the temple certain times of the day, certain days of the week for corporate times of prayer, sort of like this, prayer and worship. And when these Jews became Christ followers, guess what? They kept going to the temple for those exact times of prayer and worship. But here, they weren't praying for the Messiah to come, they were praying to the Messiah. They were thanking God that Christ had come in the flesh, they had walked with Jesus. And this was a strategic place for them. In verse 46, we read in chapter two, that every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. You think once a week is a lot? They devoted themselves every single day to gathering in the temple. In the next chapter, Acts 3, we see that Peter and John are headed to the temple. It says, for the time of prayer at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And as they get to the temple, they heal a man who was lame and a huge crowd gathers around them. So what, is they, what do they do? They go to what's called a Solomon's Colonnade and begin to preach the gospel. Here's a picture of Solomon's Colonnade. It ran on the eastern side of the outer court of the temple. It was a place where they gathered in the outer court of the temple. Here's another picture that shows how people gathered together. And here, rabbis would gather their students at the time of prayer and they would lead them in prayer and they would teach. They would bring to their attention the things were, that were important. And here, this is an amazing moment where Peter gets up and they pray together and he begins to teach about Jesus. And as he does, there are plenty of people looking in, curious about what Peter is teaching. And as he bears witness of Jesus, they begin to ask questions. Tell us more about this Jesus that you're talking about. It was an amazing place for prayer, for worship, for teaching, for bearing witness of what Christ has done. For us, it's sort of like this gathering we're a part of today. And we carve out a moment in our weekly schedule to gather with the body of Jesus. And I'm so grateful that we could be in different campuses and even online, that we could be digitally connected. But there's something beautiful when we're gathering together as a church, physically singing together the glories of Christ. As we're encouraging one another about what Christ has done, learning together the word of God, nothing replaces the gathering of the church of Jesus. Paul said it about the gathering like this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, about our corporate worship together. He said, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. Notice that first word, speaking to one another in psalms. When we worship, we worship and we sing to God. We don't worship people, we worship God. We sing to God. But this is an odd verse because Paul is saying, as you sing to God, you're actually speaking to people. You sing to God, but you're speaking to one another. This is part of what makes our gathering so powerful that as we sing and we worship God, we sing about his greatness, his faithfulness, his goodness, our singing to God results in speaking to one another. I'm gonna tell you, I've had moments where I was at church, maybe even leading a service, maybe even preaching, but I didn't wanna be there. And I'm the pastor. But seeing somebody next to me sing to God, seeing a student raise their hands and worship to God, it spoke to me, it inspired me, it encouraged me. It reminded me that Jesus is worthy, he is good, he is worthy of all that I have. We sing to God and we speak to one another at the same time. Last Sunday at Bentry, we had our elementary students and up uh, in our service, including our special needs ministry. We have a, a great ministry to special needs families and 
During the service, there was a, a young adult who was a special needs student um, who was at church for the very first time in a year and a half. It was his first time to be in corporate worship. And guess what? He loves Jesus and he loves music. He got so excited during the service. And what happens to him is when he gets excited, his muscles tense up. And he's got to find some way to release his muscles. You know what he did? He began to run. He began to run from one end of the sanctuary to the next. And you know what else he did? He got on the platform during worship and ran from one end of the platform to the next. I called their family afterwards and said, don't you feel badly about that? Because his joy in worship, his excitement to be with the body, it blessed me. It spoke to me, it encouraged me, and I pray for hundreds more who would feel the liberty to run around even in worship. Because we're thankful, we're grateful, we are inspired by the sound of a singing church and a group of people who are worshiping. That's why we're devoted to gatherings like this, because our worship strengthens one another. We sing to God, but at the same time, we speak to one another. Your worship may be something that someone needs, so don't hold back. You're prophetically speaking over people, even as you are singing to God. The early church had this vertical devotion, committed to God's word and committed to worshiping him, gathering together. But they also had this beautiful horizontal devotion. They weren't just committed to God. They weren't just devoted to God. They were devoted to each other. They had a vertical relationship with God and a beautiful horizontal devotion to one another. And this means that they were devoted to sharing life with each other and for each other. To sharing life with one another and for one another. Verse 42 again reads like this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. To fellowship and to the breaking of bread. These early Christ followers were devoted to living out their faith together. Now we know that our faith is personal. You've heard the saying, God doesn't have grandkids, he only has kids. So your faith is a personal decision to follow Jesus. But faith, although it is personal, faith is not individualistic. Faith is personal, but it is not contained with the individual. Our deep personal faith in Jesus is to be lived out in the context of a body, of a community, life with each other. Acts 2 tells us that these early Christ followers were devoted to fellowship. And when I think about fellowship, I think about punch and cookies in the fellowship hall after church. I have profound memories of waiting for the service to be over so I can have some punch and cookies after church. But the word fellowship is far deeper than that. It occurs about 19 times in the New Testament and there is no single English word to translate this word for fellowship, which is koinonia. Koinonia, it means sharing life. It means being devoted in partnership to one another. It means communion with one another. Koinonia referred to the kind of mutuality that a husband and wife had in marriage. It was a sense of oneness with each other. And this is what the early Christians had, this deep sense of oneness, sharing life with one another, commitment, devotion to each other. Notice how this played out in verse 44 onwards. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. 
They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts. These Christ followers were not content with simply gathering like this in a large service. No, they went home to home. They from, from rows to circles. They embraced meeting together in homes and breaking bread. They loved to eat. This is a good Baptist church that loved to eat back in the day. With sincere and joyful hearts, and these weren't like five-minute drive-through meals. These meals would take hours, but it provided space and time for conversation, for relationships, for intimacy, for vulnerability. And these Christ followers were committed to that kind of a relationship. Coming out of a pandemic, loneliness is the epidemic that no one is talking about. A deep sense of isolation, seclusion that has swept our country. Mental illness is skyrocketing, depression, anxiety, loneliness. In June, the CDC did a survey and realized that 63% of young adults were experiencing deep signs of anxiety and depression. That one in three Americans face serious loneliness. That loneliness is far more damaging to the body than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Because what we've done in the last year and a half has been, we're home, we're secluded, we're isolated, and we've lost touch with people. So here's my challenge as the body of Christ. These early Christ followers were devoted to relationships. So don't do life alone. Don't live in isolation. Don't work in isolation. Don't pursue faith in isolation. Do it with a community of people who are inspiring you and encouraging you, speaking life into you. Do you have someone that you can call at 2 a.m. in the morning when the enemy assaults your soul and you're facing anxiety and doubts? You have a group of people you can run to and be honest with and transparent with. Say, here's my struggle. Here are my flaws. I need some help. The early Christ followers were devoted to fellowship, sharing life with one another. If you drive across the coastline in California, you'll discover the largest living organisms. It's called the redwood trees. Here's a picture of the redwood tree. They reach up to 350 feet high. It can be as wide as 40 feet round. Imagine that, a tree that's more than 35 stories high of a building, 350 feet tall. Amazing thing is that these redwood trees, they don't begin with some massive seed. Their seeds are smaller than a tomato seed. But it grows to be 350 feet high. And you would think they have deep roots. Maybe they have roots that go hundreds of feet. Actually, it's a really shallow, deep, shallow depth of their roots. But what makes these trees last for hundreds of years and so tall for so long, it's not the depth of the roots. It's the interconnectedness of their roots with other roots of the redwood trees. Here's a picture of how these roots will infuse, will intertwine with other tree roots. And they can be as far as 100 feet wide. And in fact, they begin to form tribes or communities and they grow in groves. That's the secret. It's not the depth necessarily. It's the interconnectedness, how intricately they are connected to one another. And so they survive forces of nature and last for a long, long time because of how connected they are. For your faith life, for your spiritual journey, that truth applies to us even more. 
The strength of our church isn't in how large we are, but in how connected we are. So I'm asking you, you seek people out, pursue relationships. You have gifts, you have ministries that are meant to build the body of Christ up. Someone needs what you have, and you have what they need. When we are one like this in deep fellowship, man, we are strengthened inside. There's something else beautiful about this early church. They were committed to fellowship, which also is the same root word for generosity. Kononikas comes from kononia because fellowship and generosity are inseparable. And as you read here, they would sell their resources if needed to meet a greater need. They held on to their stuff loosely. They weren't the owners of their stuff. They were the managers of their stuff. They lived life not with clenched fist, but with an open hand, said, God, use us to be a blessing to somebody else. Use us to be the answer to somebody else's prayer. What I have is in mind to keep, it's to share. So they lived life like that, and they loved one another so well, even if it cost them. So here's the truth that we learn here. The core of the Christian community is not convenient love, it's costly love. The core of the Christian community is not convenient love, it's costly love. It's saying, God, I'm willing to step into people's stories, their mess, as a messy it is, even if it costs me time, energy, and even resources, I'm willing to step over my own conveniences to help the hurting, to help those in need, so that among us there is no stranger. Among us there is no need because we are the answer to what people are praying for. How about that if God thought about those who are lonely, who are depressed, who are anxious, and said, I need to place them in a family, he first thought about Sugar Creek. Here is a group of people who act like family, who care for one another, who are so infused in relationship, there is no need mentally, emotionally among them at all. Because we embrace not convenient love, but costly love. As you think about these truths, Here's the good news about this amazing church at Sugar Creek. We are a church that's committed to four things. Worship, connect, serve, and share. It's taken right out of Acts 2. Our vertical devotion to God in worship, our horizontal devotion to one another in connection, in serving one another, in sharing life for each other. And this is what we're inviting you into today. And as we do this together, you know what happened in Acts 2 will happen to us. Notice verse 43. Everyone, as the church of Jesus was vertically devoted to God and horizontally devoted to one another, everyone around them was filled with awe. And many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. And here there's a watching community, skeptics, even those who were hostile to Christ's followers. But when they saw what was happening in the local church, they were stunned. They couldn't believe it. They're asking each other, how could this be? How could they be devoted to one another, inconveniencing themselves to whatever degree was necessary to be there for each other? How can they be so united in the midst of a divided world? How could they be so loving to their Jesus that they're willing to pay the cost of their life? They were stunned. Church, may we never forfeit the opportunity to be a cause of wonder in the world. May we never back away from the role that God's called us to be something different, to something unique, something that's so bright and welcoming that we would be a reason for wonder and awe. How could this be? They were not branded by a political party or a human ideology. They were branded by love, branded by kindness, branded by 
convictions and truth that were unwavering, branded by sacrifice, generosity that was so unlike anything the world had ever seen. And it says then in verse 47 that every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Every single day as the church of Jesus was devoted to God vertically and devoted to people horizontally, God added to their number those who were being saved. People who were hostile to their faith. People who disagreed with the claims of the gospel, saw the gospel, lived that in such a profound, undeniable way. They said, whatever is happening there, we need. We need this Jesus. We need his grace. We need his forgiveness. We want to be a part of that. They didn't understand it all. They were foreign to this, but they saw it lived out in such profound, real, tangible ways that God supernaturally drew in those who were even most hostile to the Christian faith into the community. They experienced the same love and truth of who Jesus is. That's what I'm praying for you, Sugar Creek, and all of our campuses and those who are watching Joining us online, wherever you might be, that we would be so set apart, so devoted, so on fire, so fervent in our faith and our devotion to God through his word, through worship, and our commitment to one another. That when people look at us, they say, I want that. I need that. That's what's missing in my life. That we would be known for what we are for more than what we are against. That we would be branded by this kind of love, conviction, Inconvenience, sacrifice, and that will change your community, your region, and our world. Maybe you're here today and you've been good on the vertical side of devotion to God, but maybe your next step is the horizontal side, jumping into a group or finding a place to serve. Maybe you're great on the horizontal, light, on the horizontal level, you've got plenty of great relationship, but it's time to come back to God's word, to gathering together for worship and be fervent in your walk with Jesus. Maybe you are far from God today, and here's what I want you to know. Today, right now, you can be devoted to Jesus because Jesus has always been devoted to you. Even when you were far from him and you wanted nothing with him, he has never wavered in his pursuit for you, in his devotion to you. He loves you, he is for you, and he has been with you the whole way. And that's the good news of the gospel. God was devoted far before we were devoted to him. While we were still sinners, he was committed to us and he died for us. That's the hope of the gospel. That's why even as undevoted as we might be, we're filled with hope. Because in our lack of faithfulness, God has been faithful. When we were faithless, he was good and near and always devoted to you and to me. Would you pray with me today? Father, we pray today that you would inspire faith and devotion within your church. God, will you rekindle the flame of passion for your word, for worship, that we would be a group of people all in, surrendered, abandoned to your cause, that we would be loving, loyal, and enthusiastic about Jesus, about your great commandment and your great commission that we would offer our lives vertically and horizontally to be the church because that's who you have been to us. So Father, if we have gotten cold in our spirit, would you speak to us, renew our passion, refresh our mind to be the church that you've called us to be. And as we do, we will be a cause for wonder in the world and you will add every day 
those who are being saved. For someone in this room or any of our campuses who feel far from you, may this be the day they give their life to Jesus, becoming a part of the body, saying, God, I need this grace. I need this forgiveness. I need eternal life. And you have been always devoted to us. You are loyal when we are unworthy. You are loving when we are not loving. You are enthusiastic about us, passionate in pursuit of every life. We love you, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.